I want to thank Pastor Jim, um, although he's not here tonight, for giving me the opportunity to, um, to preach to all of you guys. It truly is an amazing blessing, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity to learn um, and grow while doing this. Before we get into our message tonight, let's open up in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for, for your goodness to us. We thank you for your love that you've shown us. And God, I'm praying that as we gather together tonight to, to hear your word, um, I'm praying that we would just all be impacted by it, Lord. And I thank you for, for just the truth that we can have in there. And I'm praying that it would change our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I was, I was preparing a short while ago for a, a small little message I was gonna give to some young kids. And I wanted to talk to them about how each and every one of us have purpose. And at that time, I had known that I was going to speak here, but I had no idea really what I was going to do, what I was going to do it on. I had prayed and, but then as I prepared that, I just got so excited about it. I'm like, you know what? This is what I'm going to talk about on Wednesday night. So I really hope you guys are blessed by it tonight. I hope you're challenged. And we're going to talk about the purpose we have in God. And you guys, many of you may already know everything I'm going to say tonight. Maybe you don't. Maybe it's new to you. But we can all benefit from hitting the pause button on our lives, taking a step back, and just remembering what we are here for. Remembering why God has placed us here on this earth and the mission we have and who he wants us to be. Have you ever looked for anything that is purposeless, like has absolutely no purpose. I wanted to do an illustration tonight. So yesterday I went around my house and I was looking for something that has no purpose. And it is one of the hardest things to do. It's really hard to find anything without at least a small purpose. Maybe you can find a broken thing, but that kind of has a purpose, although it's not fulfilling the purposes intended for, it still has a purpose. So I came up and I kind of found something. But before I show you that, I want to read you, um, I want to read you an article that I read from a United Kingdom news source that was uh, published in 2019. And it says, a UK-wide survey reveals the extent to which young, the younger generation feel disillusioned with a majority being 89% of 16 to 29-year-olds claiming their life lacks purpose or meaning. This is compared to an average of 80% across all ages, but just half or 55% of those over 60 signaling true contentment may simply come with age. In fact, as many as 30% of today's youngsters believe that they are stuck in a rut with 84% claiming they are failing to live their best life. Overall, 36% of Brits of all ages would give their lives a complete redo if they had the chance. And according to a study of 1,500 Brits conducted by Yakult UK, the biggest barrier to finding purpose and achieving greater happiness is a lack of finances, which was 45%. And it kind of just struck me as interesting. 
And I'm not confident how well the survey represents the United Kingdom as a whole. It's 1,500 people, and who knows what their sample was. It's kind of a small size for a survey. And also, it was done by a yogurt company, a Japanese yogurt company. So it's like, what are they doing? Probably some type of marketing, but who knows? Regardless of whether or not this poll is accurate or not, you and I both know that we all have a desire to have purpose in our lives. We all have a desire to live lives that have meaning. And sadly, because of the, the origin or the worldview that a lot of people start at, their starting place for how they view the world, as a result of that, they really don't have purpose. So they go about trying to create their own purpose. So here's my object that I have that has no purpose. I have right here a rock. Okay, this, I mean, when God created it, he has purpose for it, right? The entire earth is a rock. But this particular rock, to me, has absolutely no purpose, except that I just gave it one for an illustration. But this rock has no purpose, and my object that I got that has purpose right here is a hammer. The difference between these two objects is that one was created. The other one, obviously, it's created by God, but as far as human creation goes, one was created, and it clearly has a purpose. Someone tell me what the purpose of a hammer is. To hammer in nails, right? To pull out nails. Now, I could use this hammer for a bunch of different things. I could flip it over and try to cut wood with this, right? It would eventually work. It's not its intended purpose. It's not what the creator of this hammer designed it for, although it could still work. I bet this thing would be really good at removing teeth. Um, Only really the front teeth though, but it would be good for that. This rock, on the other hand, it has no designed purpose. I could use it for a lot of things as well. I could use it to hammer in tent stakes. I could use it to take out teeth. But this rock, because it wasn't designed by humans, right? It it doesn't really have an intended use to my life. On the other hand, this hammer, because it was created by a creator, it's designed to serve a purpose, to pound in nails. And although I could use this hammer for a lot of different things, it's best designed, it's best used when it's doing what it's created to do. So, tonight... I want to look at the purpose that we have in God. We're all created by him. And because we are created by him, we have a purpose. Purpose isn't found in necessarily what we do. A lot of the world, I looked at a bunch of different surveys, and one of the, the biggest things that people say gives them purpose is, is family. The second highest was career. Um, somewhere on the list was money, there was health, right? But these are all the results of trying to find purpose. But the truth is we have, we have a purpose that's been given to us 
by a creator. We were designed for a purpose. And the sad thing is, people who, who view the world from a different perspective, people who believe that they evolved or that there was a big bang, right? There is an absence of purpose in their life and they try to fill that purpose by finding other things that will give them purpose, give them satisfaction to an extent, right? But none of it is truly lasting because it's not found or they aren't living for the purpose that they are created for. And their worldview leaves their lives void of purpose and they're left trying to fill this void. But here's the good news. And the truth is that all of us have a purpose, whether you believe in a God who created you or not, you do have a purpose. So let's go into God's word and, and discover the purpose that he has for us. Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. So the word pleasure there, what were created for God's pleasure, that also means his, his will, his desire, ultimately like his purpose. We are created to fulfill God's desire. We're created to live for the purpose that he has planned for us. And everyone and everything is created to bring him pleasure, to fulfill this desire. And there is no exceptions, whether your, your life is doing that or not. This is still the purpose that we have because we're created by God. Just as a hammer is made to pound in nails, we're, we were created to fulfill God's purpose for our life, God's purpose for humanity. Now, we don't have to use our life to do that. Just as a hammer can be used to knock out teeth, it's not its intended purpose in the same way we don't have to do that with our lives. But when we do, that's, that's really where we find true purpose. That's where we find true satisfaction and fulfillment in our lives. If you have your Bible, open your Bible up to 2 Corinthians 5, and uh, we're going to start in verse 8 here. I don't know how Pastor Jim does this without drinking an entire bottle every service. 2 Corinthians 5, 8 says, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive of the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether they be good or bad. So, so Paul's saying that um, right before this, he's talking about the eternal hope we have in heaven. He's talking about looking forward to that day when we will be with Jesus. And he's saying, I, although I'd rather be up there, Right now I'm down here and I'm going to labor so that whether I'm here on this earth or in the presence of God, I may be accepted of him. 
It kind of goes along with Romans 12, 1, how it says to offer our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. But, but why do we labor? Why do we work? Because verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether they be good or bad. Let's keep going. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust are manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again to you, or we're not, we're not bragging to you about ourselves, but give you occasion or a reason to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we beside ourselves or excited, it is to God. Or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. And then here, here's kind of like the, the ultimate, where, what Paul's getting at here. It says, and that, uh, for the love of Christ constraineth us, or it seizes us, it's captured us. Because thus we judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, and they which live, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So Paul's talking here to the Christians in Corinth, to the church in Corinth, and and he's urging them that because they have eternal life, because Christ gave his life for them, he died on the cross, buried, rose again, because of that and the eternal life they have in him, it's only reasonable that those who have this eternal life no longer live for their purpose, no longer live for themselves, but rather live for him that died for them and rose again. It's such an amazing verse. So we see throughout the Bible how we're to live for, for God's glory. First Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Even the simple daily, the mundane routines in our life should be done for God's glory. They should be done to honor him, to praise him, to lift his name up. So we understand what our God-given purpose is. It's to please God. It's to honor him, right? We should live for him. But, but what does that look like? There's a lot of different instructions in scripture, but it can be condensed to one simple thing that I want to look at tonight. But before I do that, I realize that this stuff may be new to you. Maybe you're new to church Maybe you're not too familiar with Christianity or this stuff all may be new. So I want to look um, real quick at, at something. And you may be wondering if we are, exist to give God glory, how, how does that make God 
loving? It kind of begs that question, right? If we hear so much about how God loves us, so if we're supposed to do all this for him, how does that make him loving towards us? So let's go back all the way to how God showed his love for us. And you guys, many of you are so familiar with this illustration, but I want it to hit you fresh tonight. I want you to to not look over it. I know that's often a temptation for me in a service that's shared at the end of every single service. But think about what it means to you. Think about how it's changed your life. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You and I, we all fall short of God's standard of perfection. Let my phone represent sin. Let this hand represent God or no, God has no sin. This hand represents us. There we go. So you and I all have sin. And the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages or the payment, the mortgage we have to pay for our sin is death. Eternal separation from God in a place called hell. But here's the amazing thing is that John 3.16 says up here, for God so loved the world. He so loved each and every one of you. He loved me so much that he sent his son, Jesus, down to earth. Romans 5.8 says, but God commendeth, or he showed, he demonstrated his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves us, but our sin separates us from him. But he still wants us to go and spend eternity forever with him. So because we couldn't do anything to pay for it ourselves, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God knew we couldn't do anything to get to heaven on our own. So he showed his love for us by sending Jesus who came. He died on the cross and he paid the penalty for us. And the Bible says that whosoever believeth in him, whosoever puts their trust in his death, burial, and resurrection to pay for their sin shall not perish, but have everlasting life with God in heaven. And for most of you, you guys already know this, but this is the very core of everything that we will ever do that makes a real difference in our world. It's the core of anything that we will do to serve God. That's why it's so important. That's why we, we shouldn't take it for granted, although often we become so familiar that we do. And if you've put your trust in Christ as Savior, I want you to look at this verse again. Because this verse is for you, this verse is for me. Again, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 16, 15. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because thus we judge that if one died for all, then all were dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him 
which died for them and rose again. Isn't that such an awesome verse? So, although we should live to bring God's glory, and that is truly the only thing that makes sense, he's not forcing us. He's, he gives us a free will. And that's how his love is showed to us. Imagine, imagine for a second, um, I've got my, my wonderful, wonderful girlfriend, Emily, here with me today. And when I first started liking her, right, she, she didn't really want to date a guy until the end of her first year of college, but then she met me and uh, she had no choice. <laughs> but imagine for a second that I went up to her and I went up to her to ask her on a date, hey, Emily, you want to go on a date? Do you want to go snowboarding with me, right? And she's over here and she's like, uh, Let's just be friends. But then imagine I said this. Imagine I said this to her. Well, you know what? I love you so much that you have to go with me. You don't have a choice. I'm taking you there. Is that love? No. If, if God forces himself upon us, it's no longer love. Right? And in the same way, God doesn't force himself upon us to, to go to heaven, right? It's almost a lot of people wonder, how could a loving God send people to hell? Well, if he forced himself upon us, it wouldn't be love. Because he loves us, he makes a way for us to go to heaven. He makes it possible, but then he gives us the, the choice to either accept him or reject him. And in the same way, you and I have the choice to either live our lives in a way that please God, in a way that glorify God, or we don't have to. So what does God intend for me to live like? What what does this life kind of look like? Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave his followers a few instructions. He kind of set the, the mission for them. He, he said a few words, and this was kind of their, their mission, the, the goal of, of their lives from that point forward. Jesus said unto them in Matthew 6.15, and he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In Acts 1.8, this is, this is from another book, but it's in the same time that this is happening. Jesus said, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So we see here kind of uh, the goal that Jesus has set for us is to win the lost. Another goal he says in the, in another book we see is Matthew 28, 19 through 20. This is again at the same place before Jesus ascends into heaven. It's just each person writing it is giving it from a different perspective. And in Matthew it says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So right here we see 
that Jesus is commanding us not only to win the lost, but to disciple them, to teach them what God has instructed us, to teach the people how God desires us to live. So it's not only just to win them. He gives them the instruction to disciple so that they can do the same in winning and discipling others. But I personally, I tend to be like a, a guy who lives by brute force and ignorance. And that's not always the best way to do life. I try to focus on, okay, just what needs to be done and we go and get that job done, right? But God is more focused on what he wants us to be. He's not as focused on what we are to do. He's more focused on who he wants us to be. Because if we're the person that God wants us to be, doing what he wants us to do won't be a problem. On the other hand, someone who isn't who God wants them to be, they can do the right thing. Imagine I had two people in here stacking chairs, right? Imagine the entire auditorium needed to be taken down. And I had two guys. One guy had a great attitude. He was a servant. The other guy, not so much. Both guys can stack chairs. But, and at first they'll probably both do an equal job at it. They'll probably both do good. But as time wears on, you'll clearly see that one is being more effective than the other. You'll clearly see that one guy is keep going at it and the other guy will start to be discouraged if he doesn't quit before the job is done. In the same way, God wants us to be the right people. And if we aren't, are the ministry we have doing the right thing, we won't have the longevity needed to do it. We can do the right thing. You can do almost anything for a short amount of time. But to do the right thing over and over and over again, when it's become boring and monotonous, that requires character. And who God wants us to be can, can be pretty much summed up, or we can kind of find that in Romans 8.29. Romans 8.29 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So God's working in us to conform us, to make us more like Jesus. When we put our trust in Christ as our Savior, we're given the Holy Spirit and we're given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And although we still sin on this earth, one day in heaven, we will no longer be in the presence of sin. We'll no longer sin and we will be like Christ. And in, the process, in, in between that time, our goal is to continually become more and more like Jesus. That's what God desires for you. That's what God wants for you. He wants you to continually become more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. So let's just look at a few, a few ways we can be like Jesus. Um, some verses that kind of are pretty clear about it. It says in Colossians 3.13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. Even if any man have a quarrel against any, if even as Christ forgave you, 
so also do ye. So we're supposed to extend the same forgiveness to others that Jesus has forgiven us. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So we are to to be humble like Christ. We're to be a servant like Christ. Think about that. The creator of the universe humbled himself, came to live on this earth, and endured the most humiliation of any human to die for you so that you can spend eternity with him in heaven. And we're supposed to be like that. It's a tough thing to live up to, right? John 13, 34 and 35 says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. But then check this, check this next verse out. And this is where being Christ-like flows in to doing, into the mission that Christ gave us, the Great Commission. It says, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So this is so cool. The Bible says, Jesus said himself, if we love like he loves, says by this shall all men know that we are his disciples. The other day, um, I had an eye doctor appointment and I get to the eye doctor right at my appointment time, kind of, or whatever time they told me to be there. And I get there, they have me fill out some papers. They have me do some like preliminary tests. I don't know, see things in 3D. Somehow it's supposed to tell them if I have good eyes or not. Um, and then they're like, okay, the doctor will be here in a few minutes. So apparently the doctor was running late. I was the first appointment of the day, but I looked down at my watch my appointment time was for 8.40 and it's already past nine o'clock. So the doctor here is 20 minutes late and I'm kind of like, kind of a little skeptical, like, okay, how's this going to work out, right? I mean, the doctor that's late, do you really want a doctor who's late? But then he walks in, he walks in the door that I'm sitting right next to and I see, as I kind of do like a once over on him, his collar's all messed up. Like, not just a little messed up, it was bad. But then to make matters worse, I looked down, and not one, but both of his pant legs were tucked into his socks. I mean, he might as well have had toilet paper on his shoe. It wouldn't have made much of a difference at that time. But then he kind of goes, he goes into the bathroom. He, I see him carrying a tie. It's like, okay, he's going to get cleaned up. You know, maybe he had a bad morning, something like that. But I'm kind of rooting him on in my mind, like, okay, he's going to get straightened out. It'll all be good. Well, he comes out, he calls me into his office and right away, I see all was, it wasn't good. His collar was still messed up. His pants were still tucked into his socks. And this time he had a crooked tie on. And then as he got close, you know, they have those lens things that they always flip up and down, right? As he got close to do that, he also had bad breath. 
It's like, come on, dude. Like, I don't know. It's like, I don't know that I ever want to go there again. I don't know that anybody wants to go back there again. Hopefully it was just a bad day and not his, uh, his normal MO. But in the same way, you and I are to be representatives for Jesus Christ. You guys and me and all Christians, we represent Jesus Christ. Whether we do it in a good way or not, it doesn't change the fact that we represent Jesus Christ. I want you guys, uh, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 5. And I'm going to read a verse, though, before I read that. John 8, 12 says, says something pretty cool. It says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So Jesus is talking to people here, and he says that I'm light of the world. But then, I don't know which one came first. He was talking to different groups of people. This isn't the same scenario. But it struck me as interesting because in Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16, this is what Jesus says. He's kind of, he's, there's a large multitude around him, but he's kind of speaking to his disciples a little bit. He's teaching them and he says, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. So Jesus is the light of the world. He's not telling his disciples that, you know what? The world needs some more of you because whoever walks in darkness, once you come around, they're going to have the light of life. No, that's not what he's saying. He's telling them that they are representatives of him. They have the light of life. They have the good news. They have a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus is telling them, let your light so shine before men. And you know what? When you do that, when people see the good things you do, they're going to know it's not you. It says that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. That's so cool that we can be a light to this dark world. We can reflect the light of Christ to them. But how do we be Christ-like? Because if we're honest, loving like Jesus loves, forgiving as Jesus forgives, having the same mindset and humility that Jesus had is impossible. Maybe we could do it some of the time, right, with God's help, but we still sin. It's impossible for us to be like Jesus 100% of the time. But the goal is continued growth in that direction. But here's what's so cool. This is what's awesome. If you guys have a Bible, the last chapter we're going to turn to is John 15. John 15 verse 8 says, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. So God's glorified when we bear fruit, when there is results or, or produce, there's products from the life that we live, right? God's glorified when we are Christ-like, like him. 
But how do we do this? Look a few verses before. Verses 1 through 5, it says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot, cannot bring forth fruit, except to divide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. This is so cool. God wants us to be like him. He wants us to represent him. But it's not about me trying harder to do better. It's not about me trying to just brute force and ignorance, try to fight my way through this and become more like Christ, try to force myself to love others as he does. It's about abiding in him. Our lives are like photographic plates. We reflect whatever we are exposed to. We become whatever we expose ourselves to. And Jesus just wants us to expose ourselves to him. I love what Jesus said to Simon, Peter, and Andrew. He said, follow me, but then I will make you fishers of men. It's not about something you need to do. All you need to do is just follow Jesus. Be where he is. Meet with him in his word. Meet with him through prayer. Spend time exposing yourself to the light of the world. And then we can reflect that light to a lost and dying world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know for sure that you will go to heaven if you were to die tonight. But Here's what's awesome is that there's nothing you can do to earn that. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus died on the cross. He rose again to pay the penalty, the payment for your sin. And the Bible says, all you need to do is believe that when he died and rose again, that he did that for you. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life.